It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, You've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Halloween, y'all. This month has been awesome, a total blast. Between the campfire tales, the tours, and even our live show earlier this month, I'm tired out, y'all. But we've got this one last night of spooky fun. It's Halloween, so we can sleep tomorrow. On this episode, we're going to head down to southeastern Alabama, and we're going to explore the story of a ghost featured in Catherine Tucker Wyndham's original 13 Alabama Ghosts in Jeffrey. Y'all know how much I love her, right? But first, I've got a couple quick things to tell you about. If you were not able to make it out here to Tennessee to our show at the Palace Theater a few weeks ago, we've gone ahead and posted a video of the entire performance over on our Patreon page. That's right. If you become one of our supporters, you'll get access to the live recording of that night at the Haunted Palace Theater. That's over an hour of me up on stage telling ghost stories and talking about spooky places accompanied by my friend Alexandra Mann on guitar, which y'all turned out absolutely incredible. Thank you for everyone who came. We had such a great night. So I am so over the moon to get to share this with more of you. Head over to Patreon. Also, if you didn't come, then you probably did not get a chance to grab a copy of the new edition of The Morbid Curious which I guess is okay, you might have lucked out, because this month we're going to give away a free copy to someone on our mailing list. That's right, if you head over to southerngothicmedia.com and you sign up for our free newsletter before December gets here, you'll be eligible to win a free copy of what I think is the best paranormal journal out there. 
Of course, I might be biased because my sister's name is on the cover. But whatever, I think you'll dig it. Now, amidst everything else that I did this month, I also had a chance to have a little bit of fun this last weekend and go tell stories at the 22nd annual Bark in the Park event in Wilson County, Tennessee, which was a benefit for the new Leash on Life of Middle Tennessee organization. It's a group dedicated to improving the welfare of companion animals through shelter, placement, spay-neuter, education, and awareness. Now, obviously, this event has already passed, although y'all can always donate a few bucks to them over at newleashonline.org. But I bring it up because while I was there, the kids and I had a chance to see some good old-fashioned clogging. And it was awesome. For those of you who don't necessarily know what that is, the best way I think I can describe it is Appalachian tap dancing. It's folks with metal on their shoes, and they're all choreographed up and dancing rhythmically. But the difference between clogging and tap dancing is that tap dancing folks usually put on a bit more of a show using their hands and the rest of their body and all hopping around. You know, all that stuff. Clogging is a bit more of like a team sport, right? Where folks all stand in line together, and rather than getting super expressive, they really focus on their feet and the steps and the rhythm. It's really pretty cool. Now, clogging as we know it today really began with Appalachian settlers in the mid-1700s as an amalgamation of a number of different folk dances from groups like the Irish, Scottish, English, and Dutch Germans. Of course, with it being from out there in these Appalachian communities, it was often accompanied by fiddles and bluegrass music. But the most important piece of it all, especially in its early years, is that clogging was meant to be a social form of dance. It wasn't until much later that it started to become a bit more performative, as we often see it today. And this social element is the backdrop for our story tonight, a story about a man who loved to dance, a man named Grantzer Harrison. some, the disembodied sounds of an old dance hall can still be heard echoing through the rural skies of Alabama. It comes in many ways, from the spectral tapping of dancers' feet, the jaunty melodies of the fiddler's bow, and the laughter of folks who haven't been there in well over a century. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. decades, folks traveling along a long, lonely stretch of country road just east of Kinston, Alabama, have claimed to hear the faint sounds of a fiddle playing off in the distance on Saturday nights. 
first, the disembodied stringed instrument echoes through the dark. But as folks get closer to the source, the fiddle is purportedly joined by the rhythmic, rapping sound of shoes dancing across a polished oak floor. But here's the thing. These sounds, which seem as if they're coming from a lively party, are in fact emanating from an old, empty country cemetery. Those who dared wander into this old burying ground in search of this spectral party find little explanation. But some claim that in addition to the mysterious melodies, a voice can be heard in the air. Dance, dance, dance while you may. Dance, dance, dance. You may never have another day. It's said that those who hear this phantom music and dancing steps have had an encounter with one of Alabama's most well-known spirits, the dancing ghost of Grancer Harrison. The man remembered in legend as Grancer Harrison was born William Harrison in Edgefield County, South Carolina, around the year 1789. Little is known of his early life, but he arrived in Alabama sometime between the mid-1830s and the 1840s. Harrison established a 2,500-acre plantation on land near the junction of Cripple Creek and the Pea River, just outside of what is now Kinston. And it's there where he lived with his wife, Nancy, and eight children. It didn't take long for Harrison to establish himself as a successful planter of cotton and corn, and his crops quickly earned such a notable reputation that during the harvest season, folks from all over the world would travel miles to purchase from him. But even more importantly than that, Grancer was known to be a good friend, always willing to lend a helpful hand. When others may have experienced a poor spring crop, he was always willing to offer them assistance, as the location of his own fields in the fine soil beside the Pea River ensured that his crop flourished even when others faltered to poor weather. Unsurprisingly, Harrison was quite proud of his agricultural achievements and the wealth that he had earned, although part of this prosperity also included the fact that he owned more enslaved persons than anyone else in the county. Regrettably, most of the specifics surrounding the wealthy planter's life, like the details of his property and business, have been lost. Back in 1929, the Pea River flooded, and the water grew so high that the local courthouse in Elba, Alabama, where such records were kept, was destroyed, leaving us to wonder how much of the local lore surrounding William Harrison is true, and how much is tall tale. One example of this is the mystery behind the size and style of his home. Some claim it was a grand home, possibly built in the Greek Revival style that was so popular with wealthy southern planters. They say that he built this mansion up on the top of the 100-foot ridge just upward from the flat river bottom. From this lofty seat, Harrison and his wife would have had the perfect view to look out and survey both their own plantation fields and the rich green environs of the Pea River Valley that stretched for miles around them. 
in spite of the lack of documentary evidence supporting it. Most believe this location is accurate. However, if the reported lore of the Harrison family is considered, a grand mansion was not even close to the owner's taste. While William Harrison certainly enjoyed the wealth he gained, he never used it to build a fine house, but, quote, lived in a simple one-story log house that had a wine dog trot down the middle with rooms on each side. Yet in spite of this more modest approach than his contemporaries, William Harrison's simple home became the social center of what is now Coffee, Geneva, and Covington counties. Now, folks have always claimed that William Harrison was a gregarious man and that he enjoyed nothing more than the company of his friends. So at least twice a month, he'd invite folks from all over to come and join him at his home for grand parties, barbecues, and horse races. Whether it was a mansion or not, he truly loved filling his home with music, dancing, and laughter. This was such a big part of his life that it's said preparation for these events was highly methodical. Harrison would have his enslaved men cut down several large oak trees days in advance and then allow the wood to burn until it had turned into massive piles of glowing coals, perfect to cook an immense feast. Whole sides of beef were placed on these coals, and hours were spent tending to and basting it to ensure that the meat was cooked to perfection for his guests. But while the barbecue and horse racing were certainly well-enjoyed and popular events, it was the dancing that really cemented his party's legacy. For William loved to dance, and some claim he might even have been the best dancer in the county. Supposedly, this reputation grew so large, attracting so many folks to his parties, that people convinced the planter to build his very own dance hall on the property. Legend says that Harrison enjoyed dancing in his new hall so much, along with the sounds of his clogs hitting the oak floor, that every night he went out there and danced, whether he was entertaining or not. And of course his neighbors always knew when he'd get going, because they'd hear that rhythmic tapping echoing across the fields and into the valley each and every night. But dancing wasn't the only thing that Harrison enjoyed doing. He was a bit of a showman as well. So frequently he picked up his old fiddle and played for the folks who came to dance. Whether or not he danced while he played is up for debate, but it was no doubt to anyone that William Harrison loved entertaining folks at his property, which he did for years and years. Eventually, when William got a little older, he became known as Grancer. Now, some legends claim he earned the nickname from his enslaved men who respected him enough to call him Grand Sir. However, the reality is that it more likely came from Harrison's children or grandchildren, as out in the Carolinas, folks would often use the term of endearment, Grand Sire, a phrase brought to the area by immigrants from West Britain. Since Harrison and his wife originally came from South Carolina, it stands to reason they were familiar enough with the term 
to carry it down to their children, even though they lived in Alabama. And the local folks who hadn't heard it before just picked it up as well. Then one day, old Grancer Harrison came to the realization that he had started slowing down and he had far less days in front of him than behind. So the rich planter began to make his final preparations, a plan for the end of his life on his terms, a plan that maintained his connection to the parties and dances he so loved. Folklorist Catherine Tucker Wyndham wrote, I want to be buried right here, he told his family, pointing to a spot only a few yards from his dance hall. I want to be where I can hear those fiddles and feel the rhythm of the dancing feet. Having selected his final resting place, Grancer began making other preparations. He sent his servants to Milton, Florida to bring back a load of bricks from the kiln there. And upon their return, he set his skilled brick masons to constructing his tomb. This tomb, all above ground, was unusually wide so that it could hold the feather bed on which Grancer wished to be buried. The top of his tomb remained open, awaiting his death, and a wooden pavilion was built over the burial plot to protect it from the weather. Then, in May of 1860, William Grancer Harrison died, and it's said that the instructions he left for his burial were carried out precisely as he had wished. There was, however, just one additional and incredibly important order from him, that despite his death, the dances were to continue. And so they did. Yet for how long they went on without his leadership and passion is unknown. Some do claim that it was the start of the Civil War that brought the beginning to the end of these social functions, as the atmosphere had dimmed and many men left home to fight. Of course, if you ask anyone from down there in Coffee County, they'll say that it wasn't long after these parties stopped that the spectral sounds of fiddle music and disembodied dancing began to emanate from the cemetery on Saturday nights. That the parties may be over, but old Grancer Harrison ain't done just yet. Then, Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions 
or going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups, and trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000, and it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. For over a century, folks have claimed to hear the sounds of ghostly dances near the old Harrison Cemetery. But there is one other legend associated with Grancer, or at least his grave, and it's one that over the years has caused great disturbance to his final resting place. Legend says that when Grancer Harrison knew his time was running out and his death was imminent, he was reportedly seen carrying a box and shovel away from his home. The story goes that this box was filled with his wealth, money and gold that he either buried beneath his tomb or his beloved dance hall. This legend persisted for years, but on May 28, 1963, the mystery of that gold was finally solved. Unfortunately, it came at a cost. That night, in the middle of a raging thunderstorm, vandals blew open Harrison's tomb with dynamite, nearly destroying it. When officials discovered the damage the next day, they initially thought that the destruction had been caused by a lightning strike. But then, they saw that an 18-inch hole had been dug beneath the tomb, a clear sign that someone believed there was something under there as if gold were in fact in Grancer's crypt, this was pretty much the only place it could have been. Obviously, this made the sight even more tragic, knowing that a person was capable of disturbing Grancer's rest for greed. According to a newspaper account several days later, quote, Board bricks and parts of the skeleton were strewn all about the tomb. However, the one thing that was noted, whether it was fate or not, that though his remains were scattered, Grancer still wore his favorite dancing shoes. Horrifically, this was not the last time Grancer's tomb would be vandalized. In the years since the incident with the dynamite, a handful of less destructive but just as unfortunate incidents occurred. Most involved people taking a chisel to it, while others had hunters digging holes under and around the burial site. Yet each and every time, the tomb has been restored, as its appearance is truly unique within that cemetery. It's a brick and whitewashed tomb, rounded on top with raised straight lines at the head and foot, giving the appearance of something like a bed, perhaps giving credence to the local lore 
that old Grancer Harrison was in fact buried in his own feather bed. Now, in spite of Harrison's great wealth, his plantation eventually fell to ruin, and his fine house was said to have burned to the ground, while the beloved dance hall was left abandoned. Of course, it no longer stands, but how long it's been gone is unknown. Also gone is the wooden pavilion that once surrounded Harrison's tomb, though several photographs of it do exist, as it was still standing during the dynamite incident of 1963, a century after Grancer's burial. Today, only remnants of that pavilion structure remain, outlining the ground surrounding the tomb that now sits unsheltered. On June 6, 1963, several days following the vandals taking dynamite to the tomb, one of Grancer Harrison's descendants published a plea in the local newspapers, the Op News, quote, I appeal to the culprits who continue to molest the over 100-year-old tomb of my great-grandfather, the late William Harrison, in Harrison Graveyard near Kinston, to stop this nonsense. There was never any money buried with him according to those who knew the deceased, and the story has been passed down to this day. Grandfather Harrison had some gold. He came through his home, threw some into the lap of his wife, and some to his daughter, went out the kitchen door, and buried it. That night, he became desperately ill, and never recovered enough to tell anyone where the money was hidden. So, according to family stories, gold was in fact buried, but in the decades following Harrison's death, it was apparently found. A boarding house was eventually built and run on the site after the fire that destroyed Grancer's original home. And purportedly, one day, two well-dressed men came and stayed there for two weeks, leaving each morning to, quote, hunt money before returning in the evening. Then one day, the men returned earlier than expected, paid their fee, and left for good. Not long after, an old rusty iron pot was found dug up empty. Apparently, they had found what Grancer Harrison had hidden. Of course, if that is true, that money is now long gone. The family offered one final statement in the Op News article, a plea to all who read it. Quote, Please listen to this appeal, and I speak for all his descendants. Stop tearing up his tomb and let the bones of our ancestor lie in peace. Whether or not William Harrison is in fact resting in peace is up for debate, although some might argue that his spirit has no interest in resting at all. And that's why the sound of old Grancer sawing on the strings continues on to this day, along with the echoes of his joyous feet that are apparently still wearing his beloved dance shoes.
My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. This week's episode includes additional fiddle music performed by our friend Becky of the Homespun Hates podcast, so be sure to check them out. Of course, if you enjoy Southern Gothic and would like to help us grow, you can always join us over on Patreon. There, our supporters receive additional content, which includes ad-free episodes and videos. Thanks for listening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off, wherever you get your podcasts.